morning, brethren. The sermon will be the 33rd exposition of the Lord Jesus Christ. We welcome those of us who are joining us on internet broadcast today, or those who may view this at a later date. We are with you in the spirit, and we desire to see you all excel in the faith. Many people today are growing up in church, but not growing up into Christ. They know many songs and hymns, but they don't know anything of him. Growing up in the Christ, that's the point. Today I'm compelled to speak about this facet of our Lord and Savior, that he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. You've probably noticed that in the day that we live in, there is a Jesus being preached that is more and more like us than he really ought to be. Now bear with me, brethren, I'm not denying that Jesus was a man. Certainly, Jesus is a man. However, it's dangerous to emphasize the humanity of Jesus in a way that causes us to consider him only in this low and earthly realm. Now, Jesus did humble himself. He did come down to us. However, we are not to know him after the flesh anymore. Paul said, Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. So whatever our consideration is on this text, it has to be thought of from a heavenly perspective and not an earthly perspective. The apostles set the tone for how we are to consider the Son of God. They said it is Jesus Christ that died, yea, rather, see, yea, rather, that was raised from the dead who is at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. See, that's the perspective. That's the perspective we're to have. God has also highly exalted him. This is how the apostles spoke about Jesus. And given him a name which is above every name. This is how the apostles spoke about Jesus now. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's, see, that's our consideration of him now. Amen. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in all things he might have the preeminence. See, that's, that's how we consider Jesus now. Amen. This is who he is now. He's not the carpenter now. We don't consider him as the carpenter now. He's not referred to as the carpenter in the epistles now. He is exalted and reigning at the right hand of the majesty on high. A glorified Christ seen sitting at a throne. He must be seen in that capacity. He must be known in that capacity. You have to know him in that capacity. And a Jesus that is being presented is only a man. See, that's another Jesus. I say this because not only do dangerous imaginations proceed from perspectives of our Lord that are too low and gravely misrepresent the Lord of glory, but we also rob ourselves of the power of God. See, a Jesus that is only flesh and blood accompanies a form of godliness that denies the power. God forbid we should embrace that kind of a Jesus. Now, Jesus did come down and he was made like unto his brethren. He was able to identify with us. However, Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh, not sinful flesh. There is a difference. 
He came in the likeness of men, Philippians 2.7. This means that he had a real flesh and blood body. He could experience physical sensation and growth. He had to learn. He had emotion and pain and hunger and thirst. And he was capable of experiencing weakness in the confines of human life on earth. He can identify with our weakness and with our frame, but never a man's preference for sin. If Jesus was going to be the propitiation for the sin of man, he had to have a human body, and he did. He did. Anyone who says that Jesus has not come in the flesh is an antichrist, because what they're teaching is a Jesus that didn't really come to save us. That's what they're teaching. And if he didn't come in the flesh, we couldn't be saved. If a man didn't come and die for the sin of man, we couldn't be saved. However, despite the similarities between Jesus and the rest of Adam's race, there was a significant part of him that was different from us and had to be different from us. The Lamb of God had to be spotless, had to be sinless, had to be perfect down to his core, down to his center. He had to be perfect. He always did the things that pleased the Father. That's all the time, always, all the time. He was always about his Father's business. If he wasn't totally pure, he could have not been the sacrifice for our sin. This has to be seen. While Jesus possessed a body that was subject to tangible creation, he did not have a body that was corrupted by our fallen nature. Jesus did not have a sinful nature. Unlike humanity, which is born of a man and a woman, Jesus was born of God and a virgin. That's a, that's a big difference. Amen. He did not have a nature that we all have from Adam because he was not born of Adam, but was the seed of the woman. He said, a body thou hast prepared for me. Yeah. Just to consider the weight of this word. The word was made flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Could the word be made in the image of corruption? Jesus had the spirit with, it says, he giveth unto him the spirit without measure. Could, could that be possible if, that, if there was a body, that somewhere in that body there was a corrupt, sinful desire? He had no sin in him. The scripture is clear. It says, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him is no sin. That in him is no sin. This is actually contrary to the reality described by the psalmist concerning our condition. He said, behold, this is Psalm 51, 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin my mother did conceive me. See, this, is, this isn't talking about the birth of Christ. This is talking about the birth of us, those who are born under Adam. You see, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But Jesus can say that he had no sin because he had no sin. He was the truth incarnate, see. We're talking about today about the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, see. So that's who we're talking about. 
There was nothing in Jesus that Satan could use to tempt, tempt him. Nothing in. There was no sin in Jesus. Jesus himself said, he said, before his hour came, John 14, 30, he said, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. As he said, he had nothing in me. He could not be tempted from within. See, like we are. If Jesus was tempted, it had to be from without, not from within. Jesus was made to be sin, and the sin of the world would be laid upon him, but it wasn't in him. Upon him, not in him. And I have that statement written down before our Bible class today. So see, this is, this is something that, see, we're tracking right along with the Holy Spirit here. We're, the Holy Spirit wants us to know these things. Read this verse again carefully. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Now many people think, yet without sin, means that he did not sin when he was tempted. Some versions of the Bible have not helped this at all. For example, New Living Translation says, he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. See, that's a, that's a poor translation. See, a good translation tells you what the word says, not what the word means, what it says. It is certainly the truth that he did not yield to temptation. And sin certainly is a result of being tempted. But this is not what the scripture is saying here. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be said that a man is tempted without sin in the context that they didn't sin. No man sins when they're tempted. It's not a sin for you to be tempted. James is clear that when, when, when a person sins, it's the result of lust being conceived. See, when you yield to the temptation, that's when you sin. Tempted at all points as we are, yet without sin means that he was tempted without sin, without possessing sin, that is not having any sin of his own. He was tempted that Satan had nothing in Christ and he was tempted. He was tempted apart from sin. The Holy Spirit writes this up this way because he will not have a person take the text too far. Ellicott wrote in his commentary, was tempted in all points in like manner are words which must not be overpressed, but the essential principles of temptation may be traced in those which Jesus was assailed. Now many literal translation versions confirm this, that Christ was tempted without or apart from sin. Young's literal translation says, one tempted in all things in like manner apart from sin. In the Darby Bible, but tempted in all things in like manner, sin apart. Aramaic Bible in plain English, one who is tempted in all things like we are, apart from sin. And eight ma major versions of scripture, including the New King James Version, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard, the Holman Christian Standard, which are all more word-for-word -word translations than thought-for-thought -thought translations, say, without sin. Now the Greek word used here for without is pronounced korsigma, meaning apart from, 
separate from, without the presence of. The same word is used when Jesus said, without me, ye can do nothing. Or when it's declared, a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Or how shall they hear without a preacher? That's the same word that's used. Or even he shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. That's the same word that's used there. This is how we are to consider Jesus Christ who knew no sin. For such a high priest became us who is holy and harmless and undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. Jesus was tempted, but we should not be presumptuous in our our assessment of that temptation and say things that the scriptures do not. I say this because there are a lot of people in the pulpits today painting a picture of a Jesus who struggled with base immorality, like adultery and drunkenness. The scriptures say that he was tempted in all points. Like we are, not just as we are. It should not be very difficult for us to think that he, for, for us to, it should be really difficult for a person to think that he could be tempted to steal like the common thief. He could, this, we're talking about a man that could multiply bread and fish. He could just multiply bread and fish. He could tell a fishing boat to cast their net on this side and they draw up more fish. They would break the net if somebody didn't come and help them. That's the kind of person we're talking about. We're talking about a man that if he needed money for a tribute, a fish would just open up his mouth. How could he be tempted with such low behavior? Can the truth incarnate really be tempted to lie no see his temptations were on an entirely different level they were not an attempt at satisfying some sort of base carnal immorality because there was nothing in him they were designed to to get him to let go of the command of the father to act independently of god yet they all touched on the same points that we're tempted with see they're all of it Jesus experienced the most challenging temptations in these areas so that he would know how to deliver everyone who comes to him by faith for grace to help in the time of need. If you know how how to get through a difficult temptation, it's because Jesus knows what what you need to be delivered from it. And having gone through the greater trial. These are the points by which Jesus was tempted. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You know, Satan is called the God of this world. And all that he has at his disposal is what is in the world. That's all all Satan has to work with now, is what's in the world. He could use the things of the world, their wealth, their resources, their pomp, their precedence, He could try and exploit Jesus' physical condition on the earth, being hungry, or his circumstance with his enemies being at variance with him, to get him to try and prove himself before them, before the time, but he had nothing in him. And the fact that Jesus resisted and overcame all these temptations proved it. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And Jesus had none of these in him. So when the serpent came to our Lord in the wilderness, he tempted him. The lust of the eyes, people, places, and things that captivate and turn our attention from God. Jesus was shown all of the kingdoms of the world and all of their glory all in one given moment, all at once, all simultaneously. There is no lust of the eye that you will experience that's greater than that. So that's the most challenging temptation that could ever be leveled towards a man. And even after Satan leveled his best, even after he leveled his best, he failed. See, in contrast, I've heard of people who have left the faith because of a job offer or because of one woman. You can be absolutely sure that if Jesus resisted all of the aggregate splendor of all the kingdoms of the world in a moment, proposing that he could be tempted to lie carnally with a single woman, it just sounds preposterous. It just, it just, sounds, like, it just sounds like people haven't thought this out. An enemy has done this. The second point, the lust of the flesh, the bodily desires and appetites that compete against the appetites, desires, and the leading of the Spirit. Jesus was hungry after he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. You think about that, he was hungry after he fasted. The Scripture says after he fasted, he was in a hungered. And it was at that time that the devil tempted him to turn stones into bread. He tried to to leverage the fact that the Son of God was not only hungry, but that he was able to satisfy his hunger. See, but Jesus only followed the direction of the Father. See, this this was Satan's attempt for him to act now independently of the Father. This This is what it was. Once again, Jesus was given the most challenging temptation in this area. What is the most challenging lust of the flesh temptation? To be hungry while having the control to immediately end the hunger, but choosing rather to submit to God. See, everything that, everything that the flesh could lust for underneath that, Jesus knows how to take care of because he's gone through this trial. But again, I would like to emphasize how different Jesus was from us. Have you ever been tempted to turn stones into bread? Jesus was, see? The pride of life, elevating one's will and achievements above God's. Jesus was taken to the pinnacle of the temple. That's a place... I would think that that would be a place where all of his religious enemies would be at that point in time. At the pinnacle of the temple. A place where, where he, he could throw himself down, see, and the, and, the, and the angels would take up his feet. And he wouldn't even dash his feet against a stone. He would finally prove who he was to all of them. In that moment, he could have fully shown his importance and glory to a whole lot of people but at the expense of tempting the Lord. Jesus overcame all of these temptations to prove that he was the Son of God. That's how he proved it. He overcame the temptations. He committed himself to God, and he passed through the trials. 
And I praise God that we have a high priest, brethren, who can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. It doesn't matter what you're going through today. It doesn't matter what you are tempted with. Jesus has gone the greater. Jesus has walked the greater mile. Jesus has passed the greater trial. And he knows exactly what you need to deliver you. You go to him. Beat a path to Jesus and he'll deliver you. If you've got to take apart the ceiling and lower yourself down to get to him, if you've got to press through a crowd of people, if you've got an issue of blood, if you can get to Jesus, he knows how to deliver you. Amen. He, was, he, was, he suffered. He learned obedience through the, through the things that he suffered. And he can give you grace to suffer being tempted as well. He knows our frame. And he overcame. He was suffered and he was tempted and he overcame. That we might have his life manifest in our life. We can have a a righteous. We can be made righteous. Because see, it's it's Christ in you. It's It's Christ in you. Have you found that sometimes you're tempted and you're... Uh, you, you'll get a thought and you'll just be offended. It'll be a thought. It'll just offend you. See, that, that's Christ in you. I'm thankful for a Jesus who is exalted, higher than the heavens, who knew no sin, who is separate from sinners, and who is able to help us in a time of need. Amen. Amen. The Lord Christ Jesus was made like sinful flesh. But this man did so differently behave than all the rest. How can a man with sinful flesh from birth do all that's right and have within a wrong desire and be the truth and light? How can a man with our same sinful nature be the same man in his father's total favor? Jesus was perfect straight through to the sinner. He's holy and righteous and separate from sinners. The devil tried to tempt him to make bread, not to steal. See, he had nothing in Jesus for sin to appeal. But despite all these things, to tempt him in the earth, Jesus showed forth his own perfect, pure worth. Prepared as an offering and was perfect therein, our sins laid upon him, but never within. And so he's made perfect through suffering and trial and sits as our high priest to help us each mile. Thank God for this one, so holy and true, that we can be like him, recreated and new, and receive his great grace when we need it the most, the exalted Lord Jesus and his heavenly host. Amen. Thank you, brethren. Amen. Brother-